Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. In this episode, I will be interviewing Jasmine Rice, and um, really great to talk with her. She is not a mama yet um, and is still considering what that might look like for her in the future. Um, but she has a really interesting story. Um, she's been through so much and still has such a positive, bright attitude about everything um, and just shared really openly about her experience. In this episode, we talk about ovarian cysts and endometriosis and the surgeries that she received um, for those conditions and how that impacted her ability to to get pregnant. She had a couple of, of miscarriages along the way as well um, with her ex-husband and she talks a little bit about the divorce and how that has kind of led into her professional life working with other divorced women uh, primarily, although she works with others as well. Um, so yeah, please enjoy this episode with Jasmine and I also wanted to mention if you um, are interested in yoni steaming herbs, please use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, over at rosebudwellness.com shop to purchase herbs and receive 10% off your first order. And also, please join us over at the Womb Wisdom Community on Facebook. Just type in Womb Wisdom Community and you should find us. And just request to join and I will accept you. All right, so please enjoy this episode with Jasmine. All right, welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Jasmine Rice and she is a life coach and works, uh, I don't know if it's primarily or um, completely with neuro-linguistic programming, but I'll, I'll let her describe that a little bit. Um, and the name of her business is Good Things Are Gonna Come. And I had her on today because she has a, a journey with um, infertility, endometriosis, some cysts and then um, went into perimenopause um, at an early age and transitioned from sort of focusing on wanting to have kids and then ultimately decided that wasn't in the cards for her. So um, a little bit of a different conversation today than what we usually talk about. So welcome, Jasmine. 
Thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So um, maybe we can start at the beginning when you got your first period, how old you were and what it was like for you and what the conversation around periods was like um, sort of in your life at that time. Absolutely. I was 12 years old and I was living with my father who was raising me and my three siblings. And so my mother was not in the picture at the time. And so I didn't have a mom to run to and tell her that I had started my period. Um, I had an older sister. She was four years older than me. Uh, and my dad had asked her to help me. And I remember asking her what I needed to do. And um, she, she, threw a tampon at my head and said, here you go, figure it out. So that was my introduction into um, my period and uh, really kind of learning what I needed to do. So um, I was at a young age, but I, I was, I started my period before my other friends and I started, you know, to get hips and to get breasts before them. And so it was a, a very interesting time uh, in, in junior high for me. <laughs> Yeah. And what was the conversation at school like? What was your sex ed like? Did they talk about periods or birth control and things like that? They did. We had a class in fourth grade and that was our introduction to it. And my parents really had never talked a lot about sex ed with us at that time. And again, now my dad's raising three daughters and a son on his own. And so there wasn't a lot of talk about that. So I was still pretty confused. I, um, I knew what a period was because I had an older sister, but I really wasn't quite sure what that kind of meant for me at that time. Yeah. And so did you have pretty severe pain from the beginning or we can get into that later if that comes later but no I, I did I had very heavy periods from early on and um, cramps to the point where I, I, I was throwing up I couldn't go to school and that was even when I was 13 and 14 years old and so they started a very very young age very heavy very long uh, sometimes longer than seven days um, and uh, that was just pretty much what I experienced from from when they started yeah. And did you do anything that seemed to help with the pain, like any sort of treatments or medications that you took or anything like that? My dad allowed me to take some Advil uh, when I was uh, probably 12 or 13, and I would use a heating pad. I would take warm baths, um, just try to, I, I remember curling up in a, the, you know, the fetal position, trying to just get comfortable. Um, but that was really all I did until um, I didn't get on the birth control pill for pain until I was 16. And that was the, the reason I started taking the birth control pill at 16 was just because of the heavy periods. And did you tell your gynecologist at the time that you were having this experience and they were just kind of like, oh, whatever, or, or well, did you I lived, start going at 16? Well, I lived in a very, very tiny, tiny town. There were two male doctors in the town and that was it. And so um, there was really no sympathy for, you know, a, a girl who had period pain. Uh, and so there was a health clinic that was in the biggest town um, that was probably about 45 minutes away. And me and my friend went together and they were the ones that were more empathetic to our, our situation. And I, I was able to get on, on birth control there. So, and then you were on the pill. Yes. The birth control pill. And did that help with your pain? It really did. Yes. It, uh, it helped with my cramps. Um, it shortened my periods to, you know, probably four or five days. And the, the flow was definitely much better at that time. Yeah. Um, and then did you have any other side effects from birth control or did it 
kind of mostly only help you? Uh, I, I don't think I, I can recall exactly what the side effects would have been at that early age, but I know I, I was on the birth control for many birth control pill for many, many years. Uh, and, uh, the different side effects I had ranged from emotional side effects to, um, weight gain to uh, acne to just different things. But at that time I was just focused on the pain of my periods and it seemed to help. So I was happy with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on this podcast, we talk about birth control all the time and a lot of women have, um, at least some negative side effects from being on birth control, but I think it is kind of like a weighing the risk benefits for each individual woman. So I appreciate you sharing that because it, that is common with endometriosis that it's just like, okay, I'm going to take these emotional fluctuations and a little bit of weight gain and acne so that I'm not in excruciating, debilitating pain that I can't do anything for, you know, over a week out of every single month. So yeah, I just appreciate you sharing that. Um, so then maybe go into then your fertility journey. How old were you when you decided to, I'm, you stopped taking birth control and then did you immediately start trying to conceive or what, what did that look like for you? So my, my ex-husband and I, uh, we had decided when we got married that we were going to have children. We really didn't discuss at what point. And so I stayed on the birth control uh, for a period of time. And then, um, I, I started having some side effects at that point when I was in my early twenties and had decided to get off of the birth control pill at that time. And we just used other methods. And so, um, my, my periods did return with, uh, a vengeance and mm-hmm. everything kind of, uh, reminded me of what I was experiencing when I was young. Um, but I wanted to make sure that when we were ready to have a baby, I wasn't going to have to be off the pill for, for a long time. And so, um, we were just using other forms of birth control during that time while we were figuring out when we really wanted to take that step. Yeah. And so, um, was there anything else that you were able to find that helped with your, your pain during that period of time? I exercised and that seemed to work, but really only when I was exercising, (laughs) Um, but when I was exercising, it seemed to um, assist with the the pain that I was feeling, but I, I went back to using the, the heating pads and the baths and I would use um, Tylenol. I would use Advil. I would just use over the counter Midol, those kind of things that they would help a little more than they did when I was young, but um, it was definitely still um, not a, pain-free period. Yeah. And so then once you decided to actively try to conceive, tell me about what that, that looked like for you. So there really was never a discussion that we were actively going to try to have a baby. Uh, but I, uh, was pregnant in my early twenties. I, I took a pregnancy test because I was late and, um, I had a miscarriage about probably two weeks later. Um, the, I was, I was very confused. I felt like I really didn't have a decision. I didn't have time to process it. It kind of happened out of nowhere. And, um, the timing though was probably not the best in our lives because my husband was trying to 
really um, work his way up in, in his career and in his business. And so he wasn't home a lot. And so things happen in, in life. You know, I, I don't know. Some people think they happen for a reason or not, but I think that at that, that time, it wasn't the right time for us. And so I did process that there was some grieving because I was, you know, I was 20, 26 at the time. And I really was ready to, to jump into um, being a mom. And it just didn't happen at that time. So because we had the, the you know, the that happened, I did decide to go back on the birth control pill at that time. We thought it would just be a safer route for us and, until we could discuss really when we wanted to actively start conceiving. Right. Okay. And so then you went on birth control for a period of time and then, then it was actively trying to conceive um, after that or we never really got to that point. And so okay. a year after getting um, back on the birth control pill is when I in, wound up in the emergency room with extreme pain. I was thinking maybe I was having an ectopic pregnancy. I wasn't sure. And the ultrasound showed that I had extremely large ovarian cysts on both of my cysts. Um, they were the size of, um, they said baseballs. And I had to have an open laparot uh, laparotomy for them to be able to remove them because they weren't sure if they were, they were cancerous or um, again, very, very large. And uh, they weren't, they were not cancerous. Um, but at that point, that's when my OBGYN at the time wanted to discuss maybe I shouldn't be on the pill because endometriosis with cysts, one causes one, one helps the other. And so really trying to figure out what was going to be best for my body at that time. And that kind of halted the, the child talk. Once again, I wanted to get everything in my body under control. Yeah. And so they removed the cysts and discovered endometriosis okay. at that time. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, what happened after that? Did you have to do any follow-up treatments or anything like that? Or did they, were they able to clear everything? They were, she did inform me that there was a good possibility that the endometriosis could return. Also the cysts, whether if I was going to stay on the birth control pill or not stay on the birth control pill, uh, she we were trying to weigh the pros and cons. And so at that time I had decided to go off the birth control pill again, use alternate forms of birth control with my husband. And um, we, I, it was only two, two years later, I wound up back at the doctor needing another surgery for the, because of the pain I was experiencing. I had more cysts. The second surgery showed more endometriosis. And so I continue to just have these problems. And that was my second of, uh, I've now had four surgeries for the same issue. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. When we initially talked, I was thinking it was one surgery, one and done. Wow. Four surgeries. Yes. My last one was just last year. <laughs> yeah. And so did they just keep removing endometrial tissue and, and just removing the cysts as needed? but there's yes. nothing to get to like the root of the, of the issue of what's, what's causing it. It sounds like not, they're basically saying it's my hormones. My hormones are, you know, not happy. And they're one is causing the endometriosis while the other is causing the cysts. And, um, I have a ton of scar tissue now as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of my fallopian tubes. And so because of my age being 43 now, they've talked about whether or not I want to go down that route of having the 
the hysterectomy. Um, and that's a whole nother <laughs> uh, topic. But um, yes, it's just, it's basically from the time I was 27 until now 43, I've now had four surgeries and just um, the complications of, you know, the periods over the years kind of just led me to where I'm at now. Does anybody in your family have either cysts or endometriosis that you know of? No. And I, when I was in my twenties, when this happened, it was, you know, my mother never had a history of it. My grandmother's, uh, no aunts or uncles. I just, I was the one who was quote unquote blessed, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky you. Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, that's so interesting. So I guess I'm trying to figure out where I want to go now, because it sounds to me like it was, well, you can tell me, if this like physical experience has informed your decision to decide not to have children, or if that was something you kind of came to anyways, and then it just kind of made you less attached to to that happening specifically. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, did all of this, was it kind of just like, okay, the focus is just on getting my, my body healthy and keeping myself as healthy as possible. And we just can't even go there. Or was it kind of like something that you came to anyways, that you kind of didn't really want to get into having children anyways? I never took it off the table until my divorce. And that was three years ago. So and when I turned 40, so I always kept it on the table. I wanted to figure out how to work through these issues. My, my OBGYN said, I'm, you know, I was considered high risk because of my surgeries and everything. And, and I was aware of that, but I, I wanted to be a mom. I, I just knew that from the time I was a little kid, I just always wanted to be a mom and I didn't take it off the table. The timing just was, I mean, I guess the time is really never right. I've heard from people, but, um, my ex-husband, he was a workaholic. He worked a lot. And I thought a lot about the fact that I would be a single mom. He wouldn't be home to help me, you know, tuck the kids in bed and give them baths and stuff. And so we kept postponing it until he got to a place in his career where he was really going to be able to, um, co-parent with me. And um, at that point, that's when there began to be some some rocky times in our marriage. And I thought, you know, we need to get these things under control before we bring a child into the marriage. And, you know, we don't want to think that a baby's going to save everything. And actually, um, it was two years before our divorce was final, I wound up pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And I took a pregnancy test. And this time I was, I wasn't even super excited. I was just really scared because there was some, some turmoil in, in, in the marriage. And um, once again, just like my early twenties, before I could make that decision, I had another miscarriage. And so I think it was my body again, whether it was the cyst or the endometriosis, something wasn't letting me carry this baby. So this was now my second miscarriage thinking, all right, if I am going to have children eventually, I'm going to have to figure out a way to go about this that, you know, I can, I can carry them. And I didn't, again, jump into it at that time because of the, the turmoil in our, in our marriage. Yeah. So, I mean, mostly it sounds like the, the end of your relationship or the ending of your relationship and this turmoil that was, that was present there was mostly unrelated to 
fertility and having a baby. It was kind of like some other stuff, but that, that then this just kind of added an extra level of, of tension and, and kind of like, is this even the right relationship sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. And we, we both wanted children. It was just like, I felt like the timing just never worked for either of us. And, um, and then as our lives kept moving along, it just, it didn't happen for us. Yeah. So, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but you, so you went into perimenopause at 40. So, so right around the time of, of the divorce. Yes. So when the divorce happened, I, one of the the things I was mourning most was, um, being able to be a mom. And I thought, you know, I don't want to jump into another relationship quickly just to find someone to have a baby with. But um, I I went to a fertility clinic just to talk to them about what my options were. And a a ton of blood work came back. And that that's when I was told it was perimenopause. And um, because I was considering, should I freeze my eggs? What should I do at that time? And, and she was very, very blunt with me and just kind of said, maybe adoption would be a better option for you right now because you don't have a partner, not that you have to have a partner, but um, because I had already had so many complications and issues, um, you know, she was trying to not have me waste, you know, $10,000 on getting my eggs frozen at that time. And so I, um, I decided, okay, maybe adoption is going to be another option for me at that time and went to an adoption session to learn more about it and learned, you know, again, as being a single woman, it could take me many, many years before that would happen. And so I had a lot to process on top of my divorce happening because I felt like I was in a, I had a, um, a time limit, you know, I really had a time limit to make this decision. And, and because of her telling me, you know, perimenopause, I really did have a time limit on whether or not I was going to try to conceive myself. Did she, what was that based on? Did she give you like specific values of, of hormone levels and things that, that it was based on? Yes, she did. Yeah. What do you remember? Uh, I don't. I, I, I feel like everything was kind of in a, a fog during that time for me. Yeah. So I apologize. I don't remember. But yes, no. it was. She, she had showed me all the levels and basically told me, you know, there were still, um, uh, there was a chance that I still could conceive, but um, whether or not I wanted to go through all of that, um, she was kind of deterring me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have definitely had patients. Um, I'm an acupuncturist. And so there are definitely people that come to get assistance with fertility for, with acupuncture. And they're usually doing some kind of fertility treatments in conjunction with our, our treatments. Um, and so they'll sometimes come back with values and, and people will give them this like doom and gloom, which in some ways, it's like you said, it's, thank you for not wasting my time and money and giving me false hope, but it's also heartbreaking, you know? Um, so one, one other thing I wanted to circle back to is all of the surgeries. Um, and so I'm kind of impressed that they haven't suggested getting a hysterectomy. I kind of expected you to say that maybe the fourth surgery was that. So I just wanted to know like what, cause I have my own thoughts about that, that maybe I'll share if you have, if this isn't already something that they've mentioned or that you've thought about yourself. Um, but are they're just kind of like clearing, clearing everything out periodically. And are they saying like, I mean, we, it would be so much better for you just to take out, take out your uterus and your ovaries and just get rid of all the hormones. And then this would stop happening. And you're kind of not wanting to go there or are, are they, yeah. Like how, what is that conversation? 
like yes they have definitely suggested it and with this last surgery she suggested it prior to me going in for the surgery so it was, it was just one year ago and I still was not ready to give it up I thought you know there's people who've had babies later in life than I am you know so maybe I'm gonna just wait I don't I, I felt like such a final decision and I wasn't ready to make it at that time and after my last surgery last summer she told me now one of my fallopian tubes is completely blocked with scar tissue and so for sure I'm gonna have a have to have at least another surgery to have that removed. And so she mentioned again that, you know, the, the hysterectomy might, might be the way to go. And I think I've also been um, concerned because of the, the hormones and, you know, like everything changing so much at that point. So I, I, it's me really, that's just not ready to take that step. Um, because there was, even a year ago, there was a 10% chance that I thought maybe I still could have, you know, baby naturally. And um, it just seems so final. My younger sister's had a hysterectomy and I, you know, that even though she was done with baby, she has four and she wasn't ready. She said she just felt like she kind of lost a little bit of herself. And so I wasn't really ready to go there. Um, and I don't know when or if I will be. Um, obviously, I don't want to have to keep having surgeries year after year, but um, it's been, it was more me than the doctor's. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I figured you would say. Why did your sister have a hysterectomy? Um, after her last child, she was having um, a prolapse, I think is what it's called. Okay. Uh, and so she was having a lot of issues with that. And um, that's why they recommended it for her. Yeah, well, that's actually part of what I... I would like to share with you, if that's okay, that um, one of the other things that I work with is called Arvigo abdominal massage. And it's mostly working with the abdominal organs and primarily with the uterus for women. And in, in that training, we learn about like how all of the structures in your, in your thoracic cavity rely on each other for support. And so like a lot of times when they take out the uterus, they kind of just like arbitrarily can do that at times. It sounds like your doctors are, are really great because they're supportive of, of you advocating for yourself and things like that. But a lot of times they want to just cut it out and seem like they're just like, oh, well, you're not going to have any babies. Like you don't even need this anymore. You know, let's just take it out. But there, then there's a lot of structure in the thoracic cavity for the bladder and for the rectum that they're kind of relying on that support from the uterus in between them that then once you take that out, there's more potential for there to be prolapse of your bladder or your and or your, your rectum. Not to say that, I mean, if it's the right decision for the uterus to be removed, it's like, I don't have any judgment about that, but I think to be kind of like flippant about it and, and like say like, oh, let's just take it out um, is kind of, yeah, what I'm yeah, cautioning against, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so just, I mean, for the listeners, I'm, I'm saying this to you, but I'm also saying for anybody that's in this kind of situation, there are some more natural treatments that you can try to, because what, what you're describing with cysts and all of this scar tissue is viewed for in holistic medicine, in Chinese medicine, as that there's like a lot of buildup and stagnation. And there are ways to clear that out that maybe would even, even if it doesn't prevent you from having to get surgery, like maybe it would stretch out the time between mm -hmm. surgery to surgery. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So I just, I would feel like incomplete if I didn't at least mention that, um, on the podcast, just like for, for both you and for, for anybody that's listening that, um, yeah, I mean, surgery is, it sounds like for you is definitely something that's just like, that's just necessary, but it could be helpful to get some of the stagnation, um, cleared out with other things too, in between surgical interventions, because it has it been every single year that you've no. So this was the longest I've gone this last time, which, um, that's why there was actually, it was a pretty long, complicated surgery because there was a lot of stuff going on in there. I was having pain for, for years and I have a high pain tolerance and it just kind of pushed it away. So I knew there was stuff going on. Um, and I just, I didn't want to deal with another surgery in the middle of my divorce. And so, uh, this was the, the longest I'd gone between surgeries and I, I will do anything that I can to try to not have to, to go in for another one, at least you know, prolong the amount of time before I have to go in for another one. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how into this like hippie culture you are, but I mean, just in my (laughs) realm, the things that I've seen help a lot of women with endometriosis and there's such varying degrees of how, of severity. So, I mean, if it helps one woman, it might not necessarily help every single woman that has endometriosis, but, um, yoni steaming or vaginal steaming, I'm starting off with the one that people think is the weirdest first. <laughs> I just recently heard of this too. Yeah. So um, yeah, if you're interested, you could check out my website because um, there's a lot of information on there that you could learn how to do it yourself. And then there are people that like myself and, and others, um, I think you're, you're um, in the, like on the West coast ish. I'm in Denver. So in Denver. Okay. Yeah. So there's people kind of all over the country. There's people all over the world actually now that are, um, she calls them parasteam hydrotherapists or vaginal steam facilitators, basically, um, that if you wanted somebody locally to work with, then you could find them in, in your area. Um, and then our Vigo abdominal massage would also be something that you would need like somebody locally. Um, but a lot of times they do castor oil packs. I don't know if that's something that you've ever tried. You basically just like rub a bunch of castor oil on your belly or wherever you have pain. And then you put a flannel sheet, like, and it could just be like a piece of flannel from like an old sheet or something, or a shirt or something like that. Um, and you put it over your belly and then you put some kind of heat source over it. I usually, I use a heat lamp, um, that I have because I'm an acupuncturist, but if you didn't have something like that, even like one of those rice packs, um, that you heat up in the microwave and then put that over top. And then you can leave it on for like 30 to 45 minutes, um, two to three times a week. That is like really, really awesome for any sort of stagnation and pain. And also, um, it's technically contraindicated during your period, especially if you're like a really heavy flow kind of person and bleed for a long time, but doing it before you have your period or even like at the end of your period, if you get like little bits of spotting at the end helps to just like make sure that everything's getting cleared out as efficiently as possible. And so that is something that is used in conjunction with our Vigo abdominal massage, which is like a, a, stomach massage basically. And you, there is also some work, um, on the sacrum and the back of the pelvis too. Mm -hmm. And all of that just helps to create 
more circulation and space and align, realign everything in your abdominal cavity so that it's um, functioning as, as well as, as possible. Um, and then acupuncture, of course, and uh, Chinese herbs is often prescribed as part of that too. And in Denver, you would definitely have a lot of options for acupuncturists yeah. to go see. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that or, or tried it? I have a friend actually here in Denver who uh, I, she and I ran my very first marathon together and she uh, and I have talked a lot about this and um, she's recommended it. And then when COVID happened and people weren't seeing people in person, um, you know, it's, I, I pushed it to my back burner, which I, I know I shouldn't do. I take care of my health in so many ways, but then there's other things that I feel like I need to to focus on more. So it's definitely on my list of things. Um, I did acupuncture years ago for um, just some pain I was having in, in, uh, in different like other types of pain. And so I definitely support it. And my dog, I know that sounds weird, but she had acupuncture for her back. And you know, a dog can't lie to you. They're not gonna lie. And watching how she changed, even the next, she couldn't barely walk. And the next day she's running around. And so I hundred percent believe in acupuncture. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm like a skeptic of my own, everything that I do. I'm always like, does that really work? Is this just like placebo? Right. And so I can appreciate that, but I love hearing about like animals or even like children that they respond so quickly because they don't have this like narrative about like, is this weird or am I supposed to, you know, what is this, what's supposed to be happening? Um, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely um, lots of things that you can try, but I know it's, it's like a part-time job sort of to, to do all of this stuff to get yourself in the best health possible. Uh, but steaming in the castor oil packs are things that you could do at home, which is why I, I love teaching people about, and part of the reason of purpose of this podcast is to get to as many people as possible that, you know, like there are these treatments available to you and that you don't have to suffer. Um, yeah, because it sounds like you've kind of been since you were 12 having to navigate this. Um, well, I'll definitely look into both of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so if you would like at this point to chat a little bit. I don't know anything about neuro-linguistic programming. It's NLP is the acronym. I, it sounds kind of familiar, but maybe you could just kind of give us a, a brief sort of synopsis of, of what it entails. Absolutely. Um, if, well, if you've heard of like behavioral modification, it's very similar to that. So my background is in psychology. I have a degree in psychology and my career shifted when I got divorced and I decided to go into life coaching primarily for divorced women. But I do work with really anybody who's navigating challenging transitions in their life. And primarily I do that with neurolinguistic programming and other techniques. But what that is, is, and there's hundreds of different types of NLP and different techniques for that, but it's really shifting your mindset and taking control of the, those thoughts that you have. And so when you're going through a really challenging, hard time in your life, negative thoughts tend to kind of just find their way in there. And it's not about eliminating those thoughts. It's taking control over those thoughts. You have more power over them. And that's primarily what I do. And it's mindset shifting and a lot of goal-oriented, forward-focused, positive, um, moving forward with your life type of, of coaching. Sounds great. And so do you, you work mostly 
one-on-one uh, -on -one with people or do you do group, group programs? So I have three different options right now. I do have a free webinar. So if you just want to learn more about NLP and I do an activity in there so you can kind of see how it works. I have a free webinar that I offer twice a week. Oh, I actually have one coming up soon. And, um, and so that's just an hour long webinar where I do an intro to really my type of coaching. And then I have a, uh, it's a, called a boot camp. It's a kickstart your transformation boot camp that I offer that's online right now. And I have that once a month. And then I have group coaching for specifically divorced women. And then I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. And I have a weekly blog that's free that I post on my website. Cool. Yeah. So tell us where we can find you, uh, your website, Instagram, any other social media platforms where you're most active. The best place is if you visit my website, you'll be able to find all my social media. And my website is goodthingsaregonnacome.com. And primarily, you will see me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well and Pinterest. But you can find all of those on my website, goodthingsaregonnacome.com. Cool. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about? Well, I, I don't have children right now, as I mentioned, I still 100% haven't decided if that is, you know, in the cars for me yet. I don't know, you know, I'm three years post divorce, and I do have a boyfriend right now, and I'm in a relationship with him. But I'm, I'm not saying I will or I won't. But for me, my most important relationship so far has been with myself to figure out if that's going to, you know, be something I want to do in the future. And that was really important for me to figure out because I think when I was going through my divorce, I was smelling so many different types of, of loss and what I should be doing rather than focusing on really working on my relationship with myself. And I have um, nine nieces and nephews and I'm a great aunt and I love them. And I, I am, I think I'm okay if that's what my life is, just to be a great aunt and um, to love on all my kids' friends, uh, my friends' kids as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That I, I forgot to ask you about that. We had chatted about that a little bit, but I appreciate that. And I mean, it's such an important message for, for anybody, even if they do have children, that the relationship with yourself does come first. And that is only in service of your children too, you know, to Absolutely. have a really really good, loving relationship with yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes as they're published. And also, if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review to help other people to find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.